It's hard to speak your mind these days. Voicing your opinion is tough in a climate where you're either seen as an ultra-conservative or a bleeding-heart liberal. But what about our perspective? What about the Gen X perspective? Hi, I'm Tony, a latchkey kid from the 80s and 90s. Now I'm in my 40s, wearing cargo shorts, collecting Star Wars figures, and reminiscing about the days before my first cell phone. The Gen X perspective is for us, caught somewhere in between boomers and millennials, where we see things a bit differently. I'm tired of staying silent. It's time to rant, discuss, unload, and debate. Join Tony and his guests as they tackle the topics of pop culture, sports, religion, and yes, even politics. If life's a Rubik's Cube, we've got the experience to tackle it. Welcome to The Gen X Perspective with Tony Rendazzo. Hey, how's everybody doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Gen X Perspective with your host, myself, Tony Randazzo. Thanks for uh, visiting. So I got a lot of feedback on my last episode, Crashing Cars, which was kind of a um, a trip down memory, memory lane on, um, well, always getting caught crashing my dad's cars mostly my dad's cars and um a lot of people um even friends of my dad's called me and uh were just cracking up listening to it and remembering when i was a punk teenager um getting into all sorts of trouble um <laughs> crashing cars <laughs> so to speak so this week i wanted to um talk about camping and um, my relationship with uh, the outdoors and the importance of that growing up and um, how that led to uh, about a 14-year stint in career in uh, working in the woods and outdoors and what that was all about and um, and kind of where we are today. <clears throat> if you are uh, enjoying the podcast, um, you know, please hit that, uh, follow or subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And, um, and, uh, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. And we'd love to, uh, have you following me, uh, on Facebook as well, where you can leave comments and ask questions and all that fun, good stuff. I'd love to hear from you. And, um, get some more content going there on the, uh, on the old interweb on Facebook would be great. Um, so let's get down to it. Let's, uh, <laughs> talk about, um, camping and, um, my fond memories and, uh, some pretty crazy memories as well. Um, we're going to go all the way back to probably one of my earliest childhood memories was actually camping. Um, this was back when, um, I was it was before I was six years old. Um, I'm not sure my exact age, but it was camping in the Adirondack mountains in upstate New York. Uh, it was with my father and my mother and it was a canoe trip. And, um, and obviously, and just to remember I was little and, um, and so of course it's not clear memories of the entire camping trip, but I'll give you the crazy slash, um, horrible highlights that nobody at five years old should be remembering necessarily. But Hey, um, thinking back on it now, it was, uh, it was pretty wild. So I remember, uh, the things I remember specifically about this camping trip. So this was a canoe trip and it was in all these, um, 
rivers and streams and I don't remember any lakes, but they were, I just remember the trees being overgrown kind of over the waterways and, and being in this really dense forest. And uh, the crazy thing about it was that um, a, I was super, super young and, um, and kind of my my highlights on the trip were one of my first memories was sitting in the canoe. I was kind of in the middle with all the stuff and kind of going up the river or down the river or whatever. Um, and I remember my dad um, behind me and my mom in front uh, in this canoe that was this new fancy canoe at the time. And it was made out of Kevlar and it, it was this brown color and, and the, and the reason I remember the canoe so well is because it's hanging in the shop at the winery. Um, and it's been repaired a million times and it's been hanging up there. Oh, for 10 years or so when we got it out of the way, finally, my dad's been carting this canoe around for like 42 years and, uh, it's seen better days, but it's still there. It's this Kevlar fiberglass super fancy at the time canoe that was really lightweight. And, uh, I, you know, none of that mattered when I was a little kid. I just remember sitting in the middle of it and going up and down these rivers. And then I remember having to walk a really long way, which probably wasn't very long, but being little, it seemed like it was a million miles. It was this, uh, we'd have to get the canoe out and they'd have to go over land to get to the next, um, stream or river or whatever. Um, and, uh, take the canoe out and then my parents, um, would, uh, carry all the stuff. Well, I couldn't carry anything cause I was little and frankly, my mom may have been carrying me. I don't really remember other than, um, at one point I was, they went like halfway, set all the stuff down and set me on top of the stuff and said, don't move. Now, remember this was back in the seventies when people left their kids alone all the time. So I'm in the woods on the side of a trail sitting on top of backpacks and sleeping bags and whatever alone while my parents walked back and to get the canoe. So it, it seemed like an hour 10 hours, who knows? It was probably only 10, 15 minutes, but it seemed like a million years at the time. And being that small, um, I was afraid to go to the bathroom. So I was holding it and ended up crapping my pants being this little five, six year old kid and then being embarrassed and not wanting to say anything. So it's the middle of the summer in the Adirondacks. It's probably 95% humidity. There's freaking bugs everywhere. I crapped myself and I'm sitting by myself. So I smell horrible. (laughs) I'm sure that the bugs were loving it and my parents were gone. So the next kind of flash or memory I have in this whole thing was being in, in a tent. And so we had obviously traveled and I, you know, kind of vague memories, maybe their assumptions, whatever about being in a canoe, but we were at this campsite and there were other friends, family members. I don't remember exactly, but there were other people around. And, um, I remember sitting in the tent and I remember my mom specifically saying or complaining about the mosquitoes. 
And I remember the mosquitoes because, well, my mother had to help clean me up and get me squared away after they discovered that um, I had a load in my drawers. And, um, and I just remember the, uh, the heat was just ridiculous. And being a little kid, you know, whatever, it was just this craziness. Now, however that vacation backpacking canoe trip went, I have no idea. I don't remember anything else from it other than it was lots of mosquitoes. I crapped myself and there was a canoe that's still in my life today that is hanging in the rafters at work. So fast forward to California and living out West. Um, my dad always, um, uh, the wilderness and being in the woods was always an important part of his life. He was an avid hunter at the time and started hunting when he was very young and used to go with all of his uncles and cousins and has these crazy stories about going to this hunting camp in Wellsville, New York. And so much so that they had bought a little piece of property there um, so that they could go there and camp and hunt. And it was, uh, it was a, a trailer on this plot of land in the woods. And um, I don't remember going there myself as a little kid. But uh, that's about the same time as the canoe trip. My parents owned that, and they owned it for years later, even when they lived um, out west. Uh, they, kept, they kept it for a while. And I do remember spending a couple nights there once with my Aunt Marlene. Um, we drove up there in the middle of the night in a rainstorm in her crazy Volkswagen bug, and this car was so beat up and old that... Um, Every time we drove over a puddle, you could feel the water splash on your feet through the rusted out floorboards in this uh, Volkswagen bug in the middle of the night. And we got up to the camp and we spent the night or two or three there. I don't really remember that either. But even my aunt at the time, uh, my family was really into going up to this camp and camping and being in the woods. Um, and years later, my dad, I believe, had sold his uh, piece of the camp or sold the camp to my uncle Steve who owned it for years after that. And then at some point sold it and moved on. But uh, getting back to camping in California, as we all know, Adirondacks or maybe we don't, but so the Adirondacks mountains is this kind of really dense forest. It's not super high peaks like the West coast, but it's a different kind of mountain range, just as beautiful, just as stunning, but very different. So growing up in California, so fast forward over six years old, so between seven and 12, um, we went on multiple camping trips all over um, the south, uh, the west, southwest, so up in the Sierras and uh, out in the desert and went to some really cool places. Uh, and frankly, I can't remember the name of them other than, um, my dad, um, it was always important to take me camping. And maybe that was just because of his generation and he worked all the time. And that was the only time that really he spent with me. Um, aside from on the weekends after my parents divorced, when he was kind of stuck with me at first, I don't know if he knew what to do with me necessarily, but yeah, we would go camping, um, in the early years. So 
the next kind of camping trip that I have a really vivid memory of, I must have been 10, 11 years old. And um, we were with uh, Cliff McKenzie and one of his daughters, probably Aaron, I believe. And the only thing I remember about that camping trip, we were in one of those van conversions. And I remember sitting up kind of behind the, this was of course, before we had to wear seatbelts all the time, uh, laying up kind of behind the couch in the back of this, you know, uh, Chester, the molester van, um, you know, had shag carpeting, blue shag carpeting in it, this gray van. And, uh, I remember eating M&Ms and getting wicked sick. So second trip that I remember camping and getting violently ill essentially from eating way too much chocolate. I think they were feeding me M&Ms to keep me occupied because I was a little punk little kid. Who knows? That's all I remember from that particular camping trip. So we're not, I'm not doing well here. I should be not wanting to have anything to do with the woods at this point. But another camping trip I remember vividly was um, we were with my dad and at the time it was a gentleman that he worked with and his two sons they were a couple years older than I was and they sent me and we were in a a campground so lots of people camping there There there's a big river with this waterfall that I remember really clearly and um, I remember having a good time and there's you know I've seen pictures of it so I you know do I remember it or I just remember the pictures I have no idea but What I do remember very vividly about that particular trip, they sent me to go get water. And again, campground. So, you know, you walk down the road from your campsite and you turn the spigot on and you have water. We're in a campground. I get water in my little, you know, cooking pot and I start walking back and I get lost. I mean, lost for real lost. Like my, my dad was looking for me, his friend, the kid, other kids were looking for me, yelling by the river, thinking I fell in the river. And basically what I ended up doing, which was, um, what all kids should do is I sat down and started crying. And, uh, this very nice woman who, uh, as far as I know, was camping by herself, came up to me and asked me my name and why I was crying and, she stayed with me and then I just kind of remember being back with my dad at that point. So I'm painting a picture here that's, uh, I should, uh, live in New York city or LA and never leave the concrete jungle at this point, but I'm a glutton for punishment. So camping continued, uh, and, and kind of as the years went on, it kind of decreased as my father's interests changed. So he really got into fishing, saltwater fishing, and uh, we started spending a lot of time on the boat. So we'll call it RVing on a boat. We would spend the night. We would go fishing out by Catalina Island and out off the coast of Southern California. And I did that for a number of years. Um, and that kind of supplemented the camping, spending time with dad thing. And uh, so I always kind of had camping in my blood, just never good experiences. I knew how to do it. I had done it multiple times, but I always had some disaster. So fast forwarding a few years to my teens, um, I'm in New York, summertime, got a couple friends. I'm old enough now, 16-ish, 
where I'm kind of allowed to go off on my own and we go camping. There's four of us. We went camping in the Adirondacks. Now, we didn't have probably the right gear. We had sleeping bags. We had a tent. We had some canned food, whatever. We were just going up for the night to probably unofficially drink beer and hang out. So we ended up going up this trail. By the time we got there, it was pitch black. We set up our tent, went to sleep. It rained like a freaking bastard all night. Woke up the next morning soaking wet. Decided that was dumb. Um, We might have cooked breakfast. I don't remember. We were all soaking wet, drowned rats. Got back in the car, went back to town, and that was the end of that camping trip. And uh, and then we'll fast forward a few years. <laughs> so as I, you know, 18, 19, graduate high school, move on with my life, end up um, when I was 18, got shipped off to a wilderness therapy program as a student. I was a troubled kid, had gotten in a lot of trouble. My dad, well, being a camping guy and figuring, well, the best thing I can do for my son is send him to the woods. So 90 days later, after hiking in the woods of Montana in the middle of winter, against my will, sort of. So I was 18. I could have left at any time. But leaving meant leaving the middle of nowhere. So I didn't really have a choice. So again, not the best experience camping from that perspective, but what the shift in that trip was a, it was 90 days living in the woods. We lived in snow shelters. We lived in tents at one point we lived in teepees and we traveled kind of all over the, um, would be Northwestern Montana outside of this town called Knoxon, Montana. And I learned how to survive in the woods. I mean, survive, survive, like walk out into the woods with a pocket knife and a jacket and come out 90 days later, healthy and happy and had a big old beard. Now, after that camping became uh, something that was fun and pleasurable. I did another 30-day backpacking trip in the Cascade Mountain Range about a year and a half later uh, where we climbed the Three Sisters and Three Finger Jack and some other mountains. And a year later, did another camping trip, et cetera, et cetera. So now camping is more pleasurable. I'm older, kind of know what I'm doing, and the days of the miserable camping trips were kind of over. Now, fast forward to needing a job after my daughter was born. So uh, I I was looking for a job. I just uh, moved back to Oregon. Now, I'm I'm skipping some of the details because we're talking about camping here now. So my soon-to-be wife and myself moved back to Oregon, and I need a job. And I reply to a job that I saw in the paper saying, you know, wilderness therapy instructors needed all positions. So I apply for this working for this company, um, called obsidian trails. And it was a, uh, a wilderness therapy company. And, and for those of you who don't know me or don't know what wilderness therapy is or was at the time, which it's different today, they were programs that took kids between usually between the ages of 14 and 18 or 14 and 17 and a half. And they took them in the woods anywhere from 14 days to 120 days or longer. And uh, the instructors uh, were with the kids 
uh, full time. And the therapist would come out three, four times a week and meet with the kids and work with the families. And it was just kind of this idea of um, unlike boot camps, which a lot of people have heard of, wilderness boot camps, these were therapeutic camps. So ideally, and if things were happening the way they were supposed to, um, you spent a lot of time hiking and reflecting and learning some life skills and working with your therapist and then eventually with your family. And then you would either go home or move out or depending on your age and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I was working for this company and um, started working with, uh, I was working with 10 to 12 year olds at the time, these little guys. So it was more of, it was I described it always kind of as summer camp for kids um, with learning and behavioral behavioral uh, difficulties. So they were those kids that were hard to handle. And so it wasn't hiking long miles and it, it was, you were dealing with younger kids. So it was more not babysitting, but it was more, it was just a kind of a different vibe and feel. And I always worked with the same two instructors, these two, uh, these two women that I'm still friends with in the whole Facebook world. Um, Rainbow and Juniper Dawn were their names. And uh, they taught me a whole bunch about how to work with kids. And uh, we spent a lot of time camping and we would do it 14 days at a rip. So we'd go out for 14 days, work with the kids, and then you're off for 14 days. And, uh, it was a great experience. And at some point, uh, Obsidian Trails closed or merged with another company called Sagewalk. And I continued my work with them, uh, and started, um, managing the field instructors and going in the woods and working with the staff and training them in how to work with the kids. And this went on for, you know, almost 12 years. It was this really crazy, unexpected career path that I found myself on, um, which was centered around backpacking, hiking, and camping. And it it led to some really great friendships and really cool stuff, totally unplanned deal. Uh, That led to um, a a television show that I ended up on called Brat Camp that was associated or affiliated with uh, Sagewalk, the Wilderness School. And um, it was on ABC, 10 episodes, millions of people every week watched, but it was pretty controversial. So if you think kids, therapy, being held against their will, I mean, it's kind of how the TV show kind of spun it. Um, I thought they did a great job of not interacting with the kids. We were really like the first reality TV show where nobody got voted off and nobody won a million bucks. Um, really the, the end game was graduating whenever it was time to graduate. And part of the deal with the production companies were that they didn't interfere with the kids. They weren't actually even allowed to talk to them. They just got to film them and they kept everything pretty much in order of how it happened in the woods. And they did a really good job of kind of honoring what we were doing out there, working with these kids in a really difficult time in the kids' lives. And uh, it was a really great experience Uh, for me, I think for the kids, for the most part, um, I keep in touch with a couple of them and uh, it was really this crazy wild thing um, where now I was camping with a whole production crew in the woods with me. 
It was well over 150 people around there. It was nuts. There were people all over and they weren't allowed to talk around the kids at all. So everything that we saw on camera, uh, the, the film crew weren't allowed to only time they were allowed to interact where the kids was these interview sessions and, and it was away from the staff. So of course that's when you would get them talking about the staff, et cetera, et cetera. But part of the deal was, is everything that the kids said had to be monitored by a staff member, which meant that I always had a radio in my ear and I could listen to the conversations the kids were having um, with the production managers when they were doing their little outtakes and their filming to make sure that the kids were safe and they weren't being coerced and everything was, everybody was safe and happy and healthy. Um, that's a totally other episode about Brad camp that I can go into for a whole half hour had a crazy life experience. And my 15 minutes of fame on ABC, super controversial again, ABC owned by Disney or Disney owns them, whatever working with kids, you know, it kind of just, they didn't pick us up for a second season, although our ratings were through the roof. I mean, it was a super successful thing and, uh, I really wish it could have carried on at the time. But hey, it is what it is, and I'm still friends with a couple of the folks that were involved with that, and they're great people, um, uh, producers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that leads me to my next camping trip. So my next big camping trip was, um, and now in between, I had taken weekend trips with my wife in car camping around Oregon. I mean, Oregon is an amazing Oregon and Washington Idaho, Utah, it's all right there. Some of the most amazing backpacking and camping, literally, in my opinion, in the world. Just absolutely stunning. So every once in a while, uh, my wife uh, would come with me or we would go camping together. And it was more car camping. It wasn't backpacking or long-term stuff. It was more just to hang out, get out of town, have a good time. And, uh, And that led to this chance encounter or availability to go on a two week plus camping slash safari in Africa. I was presented with the opportunity with a a doctor that I was working with that I'd gotten to know really well to go to uh, Tanzania and climb Mount Kilimanjaro, um, the largest freestanding mountain um, on the African continent. And, um, I got to go do that, um, the opportunity to do it. Well, I wanted my wife to go and, uh, and she wasn't again, not big backpacking person, but she kind of grew up the same way I did her dad, you know, they'd go camping on the weekends and boating and RVing. And she was accustomed to it. You know, she was that outdoor girl for sure is an outdoor girl still. Um, although we haven't been camping in a long time, but that uh, different discussion, um, so we got this opportunity to go to Africa. So we went to Africa and we did this, uh, this, um, guided trip. Now this was the first time that I had been on something that that was that organized with, uh, Sherpas and people carrying stuff and people cooking for you and all the things that went along with these long range, um, high altitude climbing experiences. And, um, and, and there's two routes, basically on Kilimanjaro that you can go up. There's what they call the Coca-Cola route <laughs> because every you know half mile, there's somebody selling bottles of Coca-Cola along the trail and you can do it in about two days. You go up quick 
you hit the summit and you come right back down this really well-worn trail that's super safe, super easy to walk. It just takes a lot of time. And then there is more of a technical route where there's some rope work, meaning you're tied with a harness and ropes and you're bouldering and climbing and it's more of a seven-day, not a two-day trip up the mountain, um, which is more technical in nature. And we chose to do that. Now, my wife, total trooper, wants to do this. We go, oh, I don't mean, it was probably the second two days maybe before we summited the mountain. She sprained her ankle pretty good. And um, she really wanted to get to the summit. And it was her mission. Now, we had all made an agreement. And there was, I think, seven of us in the group, maybe. Yeah, about seven of us. And um, that uh, the spouses all kind of made a deal with each other is if one, because we were going up so high, you know, there was a good opportunity or a good possibility that you would have to descend before you got to the summit because of getting sick uh, from altitude sickness. So we kind of all made this agreement with our spouses that if one got sick, the other would still go if able and safe. And, um, and that's easy to say that, but it's really hard in the moment because, um, uh, one of the couples in our group, uh, the, um, the wife got sick and had to uh, descend pretty quickly. Uh, the morning of our ascent, she went down and we went up and, uh, she got really sick and of course immediately got better when she started dropping altitude. But, um, my wife again, sprained ankle. So uh, part of it is we're with a bunch of doctors, so I'm not too worried about her from that perspective and climbing going up was really easy, but walking downhill was excruciatingly painful. So we kind of kept it on the down low. We ended up summiting, got our pictures. Everything was wonderful. And literally from on the morning of summit, you summit and then you are going South. You go down that hill, you go all the way down until you're out of the state park. You go back down and you're out. You don't stay up there. You don't spend the night up there. None of that stuff. So going down was when her ankle really kicked into high gear pain wise. And they ended up sending a truck. Once we got down far enough that, that could get up one of these mountain roads, we sent a truck up to come get us. Cause we were so far behind the main group after we did it. But it was this really life changing, amazing experience that we got to share together. So I'm going now from being six years old and crapping in my pants and hating the woods and the mosquitoes and everything about it to this life-changing experience with my wife being on the top of one of the highest mountain peaks literally in the world, for sure on the continent of Africa. Pretty damn cool. So we have this great experience. Then we go on a safari for a week and then we come home and have this great story for the rest of our lives. And literally two days ago, my wife reminded me that it was our anniversary from our summit day on Kilimanjaro. That was last week. And um, it's kind of where I started thinking about camping again and getting my brain back into it a little bit and, uh, and started kind of thinking of these crazy memories, fond memories, horrible memories, but memories nonetheless of my camping experiences and being kind of, I'll call it a Gen Xer. It was, I think my dad coming from the baby boomer generation and was so driven 
in his uh, pursuit of success and uh, and all things that went with that. Um, it was the only way that we really ever connected um, when I was younger. It was really hard for him, and I think for me, for us to um, have anything in common. And uh, camping was one of those things that kind of brought us together and continued on through our lives. And he totally supported our trip to Africa and all that fun stuff. And now we live um, and and own uh, Coyote Moon Vineyards. And in the winery, in the the vineyard, is uh, we're on a 400-acre farm. And most of of it, excuse me, is wooded and is... um, is kind of camping grounds and we're developing trails now for it. So people can go out there and experience it for the day more than anything. But now we're talking about putting yurts in and teepees and allowing people to spend the night out there so that they can experience not only being in the woods and being in nature, but also being at the winery and being at this really cool place and really great energy and, um, being on the farm and being able to experience that with us. And, uh, it's some of the stuff that we're striving for and working towards as uh, kind of, we progress in our business on that end. But, uh, it all stems back to one fateful canoe trip, uh, in the Adirondacks when I was a little ankle biter, um, being miserable. And, uh, again, led to like a 12 year career working in the woods etc etc which led to a really amazing uh trip to africa climbing kilimanjaro and uh and here i am today telling the story about it so uh i won't uh keep embellishing or getting into any more details about the um the any of the other camping trips that kind of wove in and out in between those highlights but uh i just wanted to share that kind of fun moment in uh in our history and what that was kind of all about so uh, if you like what you hear you know please follow me and uh and listen to my other podcast uh, crashing cars which was the episode that i did uh last week um i got a lot of reviews on it and people really enjoyed it so uh, if you haven't listened to that one yet please give that a listen and um and uh, always remember hey it's uh It's not just my perspective. It's my Gen X perspective. And uh, I hope to hear from you guys soon. And uh, look me up on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys soon. You guys have a wonderful evening. And uh, enjoy yourselves. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Gen X Perspective with Tony Randazzo, where we see things a bit differently. Let's get social. Find us on Facebook by searching Gen X Perspective, Twitter at Gen X underscore podcast, and on Instagram at Gen X Perspective. You can also find us online at GenXPerspective.com and reach out to Tony directly at Tony at GenXPerspective.com too. Maybe you can talk strategy on how to beat Super Mario Brothers 3. Don't forget to subscribe to the Gen X Perspective wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.